So in the uh, uh, enlightenment of the Buddha, we recollect the Buddha. And the Buddha is, uh, whatever else he is, is awakened or enlightened, awakened. And uh, someone who, who is the Lokavidu, the knower, or the one who can fully sense the worlds, the way the world is, the nature of worlds, the worlds of the senses, the worlds of our personal preoccupations, you know, the worlds we spin, create for ourselves. And he fully scans and knows these, knows the arising, the sustaining and the passing of those worlds, and knows beyond that. Lokavidu. So you recollect Buddha, pure, arahang, fully awakened, completely, samasambuddho, and then uh, with clear conduct and, and insight, knowledge, fully, and then know, knows, knows worlds, knows the worlds. So it's, it's intelligent, you could say. When the Buddha talks about the cessation or, or the un, even the understanding of that what suffering is or what stress is, uh, he says we're just to just to even recognize this is uh, is intelligent. It's chakung seeing, jnana, uh, gnosis insight, vidya clarity, panya discernment. A local light, like a realization, dawning, even just to, to acknowledge and to fully get perspective on stress, suffering, um, things going wrong, the, the out of sync state, however we experience that. Even this, he says, this is, this is, this is deep intelligence. Mm. The usual... Uh, so, you know, this is a kind of real uh, blossoming of something. Mm. With the cessation uh, you know, of stress, there's still the blossoming of intelligence. It's not the cessation of intelligence. It's the awakening of that. The Buddha is awakened. He's not, uh, he's clear, comprehensive. Now, if we re- consider intelligence to be a matter of just how much information you can juggle around in your brain, then um, this isn't really uh, this isn't really going to take us to the cessation of anything. It's not, in- not intelligence that's aimed at the cessation or aimed at really um, comprehending the worlds. It's aimed at creating worlds, at uh, creating possibilities, futures, perspectives, this, that, and the other options, rights and wrongs, and so forth. So when we, in the deepening of intelligence, it's not a matter of accumulating more information or getting even livelier about juggling sorts of potentials. It's a deepening of intelligence. That's why I tend to refer to intelligence as a kind of a, as something you can understand as, as an energy in its basis. You know, we mustn't, mustn't mistake intelligence just for information, but it's a particular 
energy which is effective. You're affected by something, and how you're affected, and how you how the response occurs. So in this physical form as intelligence, you know, just the body itself isn't particularly brainy, but it it is affected and it responds. Um, so what happens when it's affected is a particular kind of shiver of some kind, some kind of energy shift. That's so it knows that it's affected. Yeah, it retracts with cold or pain. Very simply, it's affected in terms of feeling. Mm. And then it starts, it responds. And it's so body is one of our primary forms of, of in, intelligence, like that. Yeah, and you, you can't, uh, as long as it's alive, it's going to do that. So sometimes you, you sort of, you're sitting in a car. Remember, they're sitting in a car with a lot of snow on the on the bonnet of the car. As you drive along, the snow will come off and splash on the windscreen. Every time you do that, my eyes would blink. You know, now I say, don't do that. You know, there's glass there. It's not going to bother you. But still, when it happens, the body just goes ahead and does it anyway. But it's effective. It's responsive in that sense. It, it doesn't even, you know, it can counter, counteract my, my commands. When it gets some sort of disease, illness, it starts doing things. It heats up, it goes feverish. I say, don't get feverish body. It doesn't, not necessary. You know, but it does it. That's its way of dealing with it. It gets a bit hot. Uh, when I got a cold the other, yeah, the other year, last year, it starts kind of producing gallons and gallons of mucus. Very awkward, real drag. I say, please don't bother doing that, you know. <laughs> and they say things like, oh, it's good, it's getting it off your chest, you know, and you're coughing it up and blowing it out your sinuses. It's good, it's clearing it out of your system. Look, I don't need to clear it out of my system, thank you. I just, uh, I'll live with it. No, no, the body goes ahead and responds its own ways. It's got its own particular kinds of intelligence on, on that level. Its energies start operating in particular ways. It, uh, it marshals its resources in particular ways. So it's responding, in, and it's got particular patterns of response you know, around, around things like disease, temperature, uh, absence of food, or presence of food, breathing, and so forth. When I was up in Tibet in the middle of last year, the body was... You know, you're at sort of six, seventeen thousand feet up. Body's taking a bit of time to get used to that, so it does all kinds of things. Like it, it's not interested in food; it's just trying to figure out how to how to keep processing this this uh, oxygen starvation. So it's just fully geared, fully attuned to that. It takes a while for it to begin to comprehend that and get used to it, and and become coherent again, and come back to a kind of base pattern. There's a particular kind of, you know, you know, you could say an awareness or uh, some sensitivity, the ability to respond to circumstances, and there are certain energies occur, either slow down or speed up or get directed in particular ways. You notice particularly with the intelligence of the heart, the emotive intelligence. How you know you get flurry suddenly the things speed up, 
you know, if you're relaxed and and uh, and welcomed, things kind of steady down or smooth out. You know, if you feel it's very important, something you've got to do, very important, certain energies kind of bristle and bunch up. You can feel it happening. And so this this is the the heart or the chitta responds, and it it responds in an energetic way. Either slows down, calms down. So sometimes you're sitting in meditation, when it gets very calm, it can seem almost timeless. Like an hour's gone by, and think, "Wow, is that an hour?" But then, when it's very, when there's a lot of um, agitation going, three minutes is too long. Seems like ages. So what's happening? Where do, where do those meanings come from? Where does time come from? Yeah. As a, as a felt experience, what is a long time or a short time? It's just a particular, uh, the way that our hearts are activated. A short time means basically um, the energy is quite tight and, and bristling. You know, it's a, or a long, long time, you know, depending on, on the particular way in which you, you, you feel that. No time, what's no time like is a sense in which the energy is very calm and steadied. So you get these effects, and then we interpret immediately, instinctively, the whole system interprets those effects. It's kind of like something's going wrong, or this is interesting or pleasurable, or there's worry. You know, we begin to comprehend those, those effects, what they signify, and label them, sanya, labeling of these effects, felt meanings. It travels, doesn't it, from a particular response into something that becomes a coherent pattern and then all that means, there's a meaning to it, worry or joy or interesting, uncertain, that's a sanya. So there's a particular, you know, and it always happens like that. The energy is quite um, intelligent in its own way. It has a certain pattern to it in the heart. So in the suttas it's described as you have contact, feeling, perception, then deliberation. And Honeyball Sutta, Mahakachana talks about how it comes. You start off with the consciousness and contact arising. Something is seen. There's a feeling some kind of tremble occurs, that feeling then travels, perception, some, some meaning, and then there's deliberation. And then with the deliberation, um, a whole kind of cascade of emotive effects start to occur. There's a kind of, so it's quite, co- it's a coherent pattern that occurs. The energy travels in a particular line. And where it travels to, uh, you know, for the, the unawakened being, travels to self, me. You know, that's the end result of it. It's me with this, me in this, me experiencing that. You know, awakening intelligence, <laughs> you know, when you deepen it, when you comp- that, that is comprehended, it doesn't travel to that. It goes to the the feeling or the perception, and then that's that. And then it 
it empties out, it's released from that. So particular, the, the, the particular pattern of the energy can be shifted. And this is what we're doing. We're not trying to no longer feel anything or have no more perceptions, no more interpretations, but just to allow them to change the, the channel which they move along. So it's a kind of a tuning and awakening of intelligence. For this you have to really begin to start to comprehend this process. And this is what the, it was called the, the aggregates, for example, feeling, perception, and the formations, the volitional formations, the energies that, that bind it all together. These are the three, particularly these three aggregates or uh, things you contemplate. <clears throat> Sankara is the aggregate to do with the energies that form and bind everything together, create these channels, create these uh, links, uh, and end up with the, the sense of me. Happens to me, I do this, happens to me. Uh, and whenever we, we kind of uh, contemplate, you know, who, 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 who is this? It's what, one of the things we're asked to consider, bear in mind, well, who is this me who it's happening to? Is it my teeth, my body, um, my memories, uh, my, what is it? You know, we've got some kind of vague notion, fuzzy notion of something, and you kind of think, well, it's, you always come up with some particular temporary state, don't you? You can say, it's, um, what is it? You know, it could be a, the mood or the um, kind of habits. Generally, it comes down to, in the end, a kind of a series of habits. And that we familiarity impression. Sense of the same old me. Here I am again. The familiarity becomes ourself. And familiarity is just a particular. Um, unawakened intelligence that is intelligence is continually going down the same old channels so you get familiar with it familiar with that process of the of the feeling of the the mind that worries or doubts or jumps or is impulsive that particular energy feels like me because it happens a lot I've gotten used to it <clears throat> and um, in awakening you say no no wait a minute this doesn't have to happen a lot. Yeah. So recollection of Buddha is is a sense of you know you 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 can actually free up free up this process, yeah. and it doesn't become through just trying to shut everything down, but to really get the resources to fully awaken your intelligence to to begin to notice how the energy shifts, how it sticks, how it binds and the particular formations that it comes up with. And then you can check it, you can stop it, you can interrupt it, you can soothe it, you can calm it, you can arouse it, you can play with it, you can discern it, and you can sense it's just this. And this is all the, 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 the stuff, isn't it? So there's the body, body intelligence, heart intelligence, and sometimes, you know, focusing on the body intelligence to come out of some of the um, compulsive patterns of the heart. 
So when your heart or mind is very agitated, just going to the the body that just knows the pressure of its feet on the ground, the movement walking meditation, which is a very simple and, and skillful thing to do because it's it's not tremendously not a tremendous amount of information there required in walking twenty paces backwards and forwards, um, but. The, what it does is you're just deepening by placing your, your awareness just on that movement of the body. And you've got this particular rhythm, and bom, 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 which is steady. And there's this other stuff going, <laughs> charging around. Wait a minute. Uh, I think I like, I like this one better, this kind of simple one. You tune into that, and this other stuff kind of doesn't get fed. Uh, you, you get some perspective on it and therefore one doesn't um, deliberate on it you may still have the the feeling or the perceptions but there isn't a deliberation around it the pondering of it the investing in it that, that takes it into that the, the home straight of creating a person creating me out of it so you kind of interrupt that process yeah, at the level of, of perception or felt meanings. And even, you know, you can take it back to even just the level of contact. You know, you're very acute. There's not much happening. Just the sense of being, being present, being affected. You know, being in a space. The sense of just being a body in a space and the, the edginess or the, or the comfort or the, you know, whatever happens with that particular experience for us. So we often need the body intelligence just to uh, come out of the compulsive, unawakened intelligence of the heart. And then you can need the heart intelligence to come out of the compulsive states of the body. Like just that, uh, just, just take it easy now. You can feel yourself getting kind of stressed or you, your mind is, your body's kind of getting very dull, slack, it's, you brighten up, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, take it like that. So quite a lot of uh, practice is, is around us bringing up skillful perceptions and meanings into the heart so that uh, we don't travel, first of all, we don't travel into the bad or confused or the stressed out self. We travel into some sense of self that's a bit more um, um, steady, comfortable, inspired. Yeah. You bring up those perceptions and meanings, Buddha, uh, the inspiration, the sense of being welcome, sense of gratitude, sense of being in something that's good and noble, uh, and being able to, to feel comfortable in that. Sense of valuing your own, your own nobility, recognizing your own nobili- nobility as a human being. The ability to nobility, which is the ability to to discern and aim for what's uh, most uh, altruistic, uh, deepest. Just rec- recollect 
the quality of integrity that's required in a in this life that we all kind of take for granted that nobody's going to kind of in the monasteries at least going to kind of rip off the donations box <laughs> you know we, we nobody's going to uh, you know break precepts and uh, that's kind of uh, you know there's a question about that really and this sense of a retreat the quality of, of um, determination staying with it sticking with it you know? and sometimes you to come back to that out of the complexities of the of the evolved thought processes just into the kind of this, the, some of the more si- simplicity of the heart intelligence like oh yeah well I want to be with this yeah I've got to put really why it's uncomfortable it's boring it's um, your knees hurt you know your mind's restless uh, nothing's going on you know what do you want to be with this for oh no oh yeah I want to be with this <laughs> So something we don't uh, we sort of take for granted that yeah yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna get up at quarter to four three thirty in the morning and come and sit here and watch my mind go potty for an hour and a half <laughs> wouldn't miss it for worlds <laughs> because there's some sense of you know that that purpose and this is we kind of sometimes miss the basis uh, of of our of our awakening. It's not fully awakened, but at least it's it's kind of trying to prise the eyelids open. Um, so that's something you've got to kind of bring to mind and and dwell in and deliberate around that, rather than deliberate around where you don't feel so good or your mind's complaining or you whatever it's doing. You know? So you come back to a very basic kind of intent. <coughs> So remember that the uh, the jitta sankara or the the formations of the mind, uh, something, the energies, the kind of patterns, the patterning of it all, either in the particular specific experiences of excitement or worry or joy, and then there's the the very Nature patterns like I have, I'm someone who tends towards joy or I tend towards fear. So it's kind of specific momentary arising is also something you begin to discern more clearly yourself. My mind always runs that way. It goes towards in that direction. You know? So you kind of, oh, it's like that. That's all the content. That's, that's the patterning, isn't it? But then you can also recognize you, something you can, wit- you can witness, you can, you can know that, you can discern that. So there's something else there that's able to comprehend or cognize or get some perspective on the patterning. It doesn't always get perspective on it, but it, yeah, we, we can come to that place. And it, just feel what it's like when you come to that place. Oh, it's like a certain shift. Uh, I might say that it's, uh, you, it's almost as if there are different energies going on. There's a very choppy, agitated sense of effect 
which is one level of it, and then there's something that's actually much more steady, which is another level. And this is the level which just chitta, just awareness, which isn't doing very much at all. It just has the intent to receive or um, be there, be present, comprehend. And this is the bit that we, we're waking up. You don't have to awaken up the, the patterning. That's probably wide awake, you know, in, some, in, a, <laughs> in a kind, not in a Buddhist sense, but I mean, it's got enough activity going in already. It's to awaken the, the, the knowingness, that kind of level of intelligence, which uh, isn't so, uh, doesn't strike us immediately because it's not doing very much. Doing, doing anything actually, it's just present. So it requires just tuning into a kind of uh, a quieter sense, in a sense that's much less me, because it hasn't participated in that process of feeling, perception, deliberation, so forth, and me. It's something that hasn't, particip- hasn't participated in that, it isn't the end result of that. It's not, you say, it's, it's um, not, you know, in the candors, in the aggregates. It's kind of witnessing. You can come back to that. Sometimes you come back to that just, you know, rarely. But you're coming back to it and then you're kind of trying to wake it up. It's like something that's, that's there but asleep. It hasn't been called upon very much, it's just dozed off. All the energy has gone into the doing and the planning and the figuring and the responding. It hasn't gone into just receiving and being present with things. So you've got to kind of wake it. That's why we deepen intelligence. You deepen back to that quality don't need to have a lot of more stuff to get going on. Sometimes it's the simplicity of the practice, and even the simplicity of repeated teachings. It keeps taking you back again, deepening to that place. Through all this kind of miasma of impressions and thoughts and beliefs and attitudes. <clears throat> in the um, in the Hanibal Sutta, the Buddha, uh, the Mahakachana describes it in a quite interesting way in which it talks about uh, uh, contact. Because of contact, there is feeling. When one fe- what one feels, one perceives. And so it gradually, a subject starts to creep in around at the level of perception. And then what one perceives, one thinks about. And then what one thinks about becomes, through that process, one becomes the object of a series of emotionally charged thoughts and perceptions. So it's, it starts off with just a process. And around about the level of perception, a subject starts to crystallize. Because yeah. this is where the self 
self-sense begins with this, um, uh, this level of, of meaning, felt meaning, what I'm calling felt meaning. That is, it starts with a feeling and it moves into a meaning. And then because of the meaning, meaning generates deliberation. One ponders the meaning and then one thinks it. And then the result of that is you become someone who's overwhelmed by all these thoughts. So the sense of, first of all, a, an entity to its happening, too, and an entity whose entity is doing something, and then an entity who is done too, you know, becomes the object. And it goes like that. And that's the way it travels, that kind of thing. And you can witness this happening. Just as your mind goes off track in it, when you're meditating, it starts off with some kind of ripple, and then a, and so, oh, turning to that, and then... Oh, and then it feels good, and then one, there's a lingering in that, and then one is in it, and then eventually you think, oh, goodness, stop it, stuff's getting on my nerves. Yeah, shut up, I lost it. You know, and you get back to your process again, practice again. And you do that little journey time and time again. So when we're uh, deepening intelligence, it's just a... Uh, to, to drop the topics as quickly as you can. Just go back to, you know, to simplify. And the way you simplify is you come back to the, the basic level of the meaning. This is worry. You know, the basic interpretation. This is the worry mind. The angry mind. The, the uh, happy mind. The dreamy mind. The playful mind. Mm-hmm. Like this. It's this kind of... You just... Almost, that's... that's that's the beginning of it, you know. That's where it kind of starts to form. And then there's a deliberating around that and it starts to get more and more stuff happening in that place. But as you kind of recognize with all this, is all this stuff kind of bubbles, fuzzes, blurs, and eventually it kind of Futters out somewhere or the other, and then you, where am I? Oh, and then you get this kind of lost sense, and then oh, you try, and you, some sort of sense of gearing up to something else. This is this is the moment of sleep, you know, when you're really lost, it's really gone asleep, and then you, you wake up and you're nowhere, and it's a vague blur, and then you, what what to what to get track of, and perhaps you're meditating or. Or you go to a thought or something like that. There's that sense that happens. So it's very, this is unsatisfactory, to put it mildly, just doing this for a lifetime. <laughs> and you recognize, you kind of contemplate the way the world is, then that's about it, really. It's just, it's just following these tracks, getting lost, and then picking up another track, getting lost, and picking up another track, and getting lost. And then picking up another track, and getting lost. And thinking, there must be a track somewhere that wouldn't get me lost, but <laughs> they all go that way. <laughs> you know, what, what, do, what do people do in their lives? Yeah. Mostly it's just kind of getting by and doing stuff, and then you walk the dog, and then you go to the park, and then you come home, you have some lunch, have a nap, you know, do it, do it, go and visit somebody, go out to work, have a conversation, read a book, watch telly for a while, go to bed, get up in the morning, go to work. What? Where's it going, you know? 
And it's a lot of it's just kind of almost like, and if, if there isn't anything we've got to do, so we can think, oh, this is what I've got to do. But when there isn't anything we've got to do, what do we do? We don't, we just can't chill out. You're going to go and do something. Yeah, you're going to go and, um, you know, do an amusement arcade and, you know, send steel balls around a, around a table or something useful or play golf or shoot something or <laughs> do a crossword or, you know, what is it? It's just kind of like, just trying to leak that energy out. It's just because the energy itself is so, so un- unhappy. You know? So you just got to kind of, like a rash, you just got to keep scratching it to get rid of it. But it doesn't, it doesn't die like that, does it? Yeah. So you, uh, no matter, and, and you can expend enormous amount of energy and intelligence on scratching the itch. And then to deepen it, you come back to actually bearing with the itch. How does it feel? Taking it into the body, and then through the body and through the intent of the mind, just calming it, steadying it, holding it. And it's, it can cease, it can stop. And that's when your intelligence goes deep. Because yeah. the, the aim... Yeah, is to put an end. The intent is to is to stop stress and suffering. It's an intent we often have, but we we don't necessarily know how to, we're going to find that. But in, that we use that with, when you're beginning to listen to the Dhamma. You recognise you use that that basic instinct that you all have to to find pleasure and to get out of pain. We use that to to deepen rather than um, diffuse or diversify our our intelligence. You're coming back to that. Actually, in terms of uh, sustaining uh, practice, then <coughs> there's a lot to be <coughs> developed just in being able to to um, get it, reveal these patterns, this patterning, uh, and bring it to cessation. It's through through the unwinding, the undoing, the unbinding of the patterning. It's not really through avoiding it, actually. So to some extent, we kind of we limit how we diversify our intelligence, how we proliferate. And yet we all recognize that, you, you know, as you meditate, you come in touch with the patterning. You, the patterning gets revealed. Um, you know, there's patterning to do with uh, irritation or um, acquisition or uh, greed or fear or um, these kinds of different, different forms of patterning and you start to get in touch with it. You can find different objects and we limit the objects. But you probably recognize, even when your objects are quite limited, you can just have one little flick of, a, of a something to get excited about or irritated about and the whole 
patterning just leaps out. <laughs> and it, it's, it's really useful in a, have a retreat in a restrained lifestyle because you can see how, how, how absurd uh, one's uh, irritation suddenly is. You know, you're in this wonderful situation and you're getting irritated about you know, somebody using the, the tea towel in the wrong way or, uh, you know, shuffling as they walk into the, into the Dharma horn, you know, and, and the intensity of the feeling around that. You see, it's just like the, the latent tendency is just hair on a hair trigger, just boom, springs out when something, something um, uh, allows it to. And then the whole our world arises. And then we feel stuck in it. And then we try and maybe blame it on somebody else or blame it on ourselves. And all this is really not very deep. <laughs> it's, you know, it gets so tedious to be going through this stuff. But you know, also, there's no point just getting, uh, you know, despairing about it. It's something to just really deep, deepen around. Yeah. In this retreat, as um, I find myself, partly because of being kind of, you know, in organisational role, and uh, in some ways leading retreat. Although I think it would be flattery to say if anyone was following me, I'm <laughs> kind of leading it. If people are going where they're going. <laughs> That's the setup. <laughs> so you get out there, you give all the commands and the orders, and you look, there's nobody behind you. <laughs> but they still tell you, oh, keep doing it. <laughs> so you, you get kind of patterned in that, one gets patterned in that particular way. And I've been doing this for, for a number of years, and the, being the, you know, not just on retreat, but off retreat also sort of organizing figure in the monastery. <laughs> Even though it doesn't actually happen in the way I, I organize it, it happens its own way, but still the notion is you've got somebody who kind of, who's the stooge for that particular function, makes people feel that something, you know, coherent will happen. And so one gets into that particular mode, and uh, I notice when I'm at Chithurst, that particular, those latent tendencies that patterning comes up for me. doesn't happen so much when I was in Santa Chitarama, Italy. You know, go there, just, uh-huh, fine, you know. Very mind, very able to just let it be what it was. Other people's monasteries are great. <laughs> it's one's own monastery, what one thinks is one's own monastery anyway. The, you know, the latent tendencies to, to uh, worry uh, can very get a lot of uh, possibilities going on them, and uh, of course, no matter how much one plans and worries, it doesn't actually go in accordance with one's plans. You know, neither does it turn out as bad as one's worries. You know, it just it just goes its own way, and there's some kind of sense of the fundamental intent of the whole group is what holds it together. 
But it certainly, you know, can see that kind of tendency coming up, even on retreat. And also at this time, I'm sort of aware of of um, going on traveling in a couple of months' time. So there's sorts of things to plan and book, you know, tickets and so forth, and where I'm going to be, and letters, and so this, that, and the other. And uh, so one thing, we're trying to get a, a visa, get into Australia. So, okay, when are you going to be there? Okay, how long for? Ticket, passport, number, name, identity, gender, history, writing these forms. Got all kinds of different forms. And um, not just one form, you've got to apply for, the, apply for the right form, which means you've got to go into the, um, get their website, because they don't deal with anything otherwise. You go to the website and trawl through all these interesting and not interesting facts about Australia. And go read all the details of what kind of person you are and what form you need to, whether you're a student, medical, this is the form you want, a 48i. Okay, got it. And you do all that, and then send it off. Oh, you can't You can't just um, go out to a to a Aussie house and slap it on the table and say, here, mate, fair dinkum, give me a visa. <laughs> no, no, you've got to, it won't accept personal. You've got to send it. They won't accept a check. So you've got to get somebody with a credit card to go and do the whole thing and yada, yada, yada. So, organize, organize, organize. So I did this and then I get a letter back saying, you know, well, we need to have proof of your, you'll be financially supported in Australia and uh, documents as to how long you're going to be there. I thought this was the land of no worries, mate. These Australians seem to worry a lot. (laughs) I could just send them a letter back saying, no worries, mate, she'll be apples. But I didn't think they'd approve somehow. <laughs> it's a rather bad taste. <laughs> so, so you know, you can get this thing, oh dear, to get into all this stuff. So then I've got to get active on that, you know, and you feel the mind kind of. <laughs> you know, so as it gets active and you start to think, oh, Australia, spiders in Australia, venomous spiders in Australia, oh, dear. Snakes, venomous snakes in Australia, oh, dear. Perhaps I should have some spider repellent or snake-proof boots or something. What should I wear? Would it be hot? Would it be cold? Stop it. (laughs) You know, it triggers triggers this whole kind of line of things off. Uh, (laughs) But then when you kind of contemplate the contact and then that that feeling, and then will I get this visa, you know, and get this thing going? Maybe they'll just um, be so long getting it together, I won't get my passport back in time before I leave. Maybe this, maybe that, all kinds of things can happen. And I suppose in some ways that's the situation for all of us, isn't it? You know, we're all in some kind of life process where things are going to happen in the future and um, things are moving along somewhere or another. Yeah, Sister Tita Madri is going off to Thailand, woman of the year. And uh, <laughs> which is a lovely perception to have, but then there's all sorts of planning and thinking going on with that, and uh, and so on, you know. 
So, just do. And then you actually contemplate uh, what happens in the mind when it, when it starts to move into that future. And this is something you've got to do because, yeah, we can all say in one way, well, yeah, we're all here and now, and there's no future, we're all going to die tomorrow, and that's it. You try putting that on your, on your visa form. <laughs> Just trust in the Dhamma. They say, how much finance do you have? Just trust in the Dhamma. It's not going to work, is it? You've got to go into that mode. You go into that mode, what does that mode feel like? And then who does it, who does it create at the end of it? So you actually contemplate the whole process of how the self kind of forms. And then the, the particular self that, uh, that forms for me around this particular thing is this kind of little rather plaintive self. Please give me my visa. Nice Australians, give me my visa. Mm-hmm. Hurry up, give me my visa. Doesn't it sort of like a triumphant self or confident self? It's a rather little plaintive, um, wheedling self. <laughs> With a bit of worry behind it, perhaps they won't cooperate. You know? Yeah, so it's like that. But it's, that's not something that's always there. I'm not, you know. But it's that particular strand. Now, I can think it's always there, but it isn't always there. But it's a tendency that arises, and it generates this particular persona. And if I follow that, then I start to act on that and intensify that, and I become more and more that way. And if you actually go back to the process, you, one recognises that the, the person arises after, after the emotion. You know. So the stimulation occurs, and it's, then it, it becomes a person. You know. Stimulation, the, the perception, the thing occurs, it becomes a person. At the same time today, I've also got this uh, present. Somebody sent me a, um, a, a yoga mat to exercise on. And this was very nice because we've, I've been thinking of taking one with me. So we're looking around to where we could get one. And um, turned out that the, when we sent off for this thing, the people um, sent it to us, said, you can have it for free. They recognised who it was, and you can have it for free. And they sent a little letter, and it was um, Satima, who used to be a nun. So she's obviously got this little, didn't realise she had this company, or working for a company, so she just wrote and said, this is, here's a mat for free, Dana. So, oh, that's very nice. And the different me arose. Here I am, Ajahn Suchito. I was her teacher, you know, she's grateful, here I am, a man of some, some measure, no longer a pathetic, wheedling me, but a <laughs> confident, loved me, you know. And I could look at one thing, and one person arose, look at the other thing, another person arose. It was interesting, you know, just to see the, which, which you know, the different, will the real me stand up? But when you get that immediate juxtaposition, then you recognise, oh, there, there isn't one, you know. There are these relative me's. 
And that's uh, consider, contemplate that. Yeah. What what makes that up? What makes that me? The familiarity, the uh, feeling you've got to act on it, the being got by it. <clears throat> In other words, being the object of something, the object of affection, or the object of mistrust. But it starts out as you get said, you're, you're an object of something. Yeah. And so the, the thing is what makes you, and what are the object of? You're the object of the meaning or the feeling of, the felt meaning of affection or gratitude or you know, hostility or whatever. So the object of that. Um, so you come back to, to those particular, and then what is that particular thing, that happy thing or unhappy thing, what's that feel like? You, so you deepen your intelligence that way. It feels like a kind of moving, a, a rolling, a tightening, a jumping, a, it's held, it's activated, it's energetic. It's creative, it scatters, it intensifies. Then you just, so rather than even go into the topics, just go into the very pattern of the energy and recognize at that very moment, once you see it like, when it's seen like that, at that very moment, there's a, already there's a kind of rerouting that occurs. So instead of that going into the building up the me, it's now going into building up a quality of witnessing, you might say. So instead of it going into you know, the worrying me, it goes into that which knows or is aware of worrying or the experience of worry. So this way you go from the, the, the jitta sankara, the, the formation or the pattern, instead of it going into the self, it goes into jitta itself, which is awareness, and it, and it begins to, through that process, it doesn't get fed, and it heightens, deepens one's intelligence. Worry is like this. Feels that you can, then you can measure it in your body, feels like this in the body. Body feels slightly tighter or agitated or relaxed or suffused. Mm. It's like that, that's the feeling. And then breathing in, breathing out, or just opening and relaxing. When you get down to that level, it's just often a matter just purely of, of opening and relaxing, coming out of the formation back to the, the base state. So you, you navigate back to that particular state. Hmm. So you do this time and time again. It's not that the, that particular base state is, is, is it as such, but knowing the process of how you move from the, one might say, the fundamental state of citta to the formulations to the self. And from the self, the formations, back to the base state. How this process wave arises out of this kind of sea of chitta, this kind of wave arises right on the crest of it. Well, being is the surfer, me. 
and the wave is coming over and the surface kind of, oh, here we go, carried along on this thing. <coughs> and then you kind of can't go back to that. So you can contemplate the whole process till you don't really have an issue with it. You know, it's just that. That's process. That's the process of formation. The formations then can't, can, don't have to be a big deal, a big issue. And one becomes dispassionate towards formations. One becomes um, disengaged from them, no longer taking up issue with them. Uh, one no longer expects them to arrive at a particular place. You no longer believe in them or in the person that they create. So in that not feeding, through, through, just through seeing, there is already the uh, calming of formations. They're not going into them. But it's rather like um, this process doesn't happen through, through just um, stopping it all. As a, as a one-off. I mean, yeah, stopping it is useful. You can't stop. Stop it now. You know. But that isn't the end. That, or finding somewhere where it doesn't happen, which is another nice possibility. Quiet Buddhist monastery, for example. Shouldn't happen there, should it? No way. <laughs> yeah. or, but then you think, oh, it's just this one. You go to any of them. It's the same thing. I mean, if you go up to a hermitage, probably, in, you know, in, in outer Slobodia, it's probably the hermits are sitting there wondering whether Manchester United or Chelsea are going to win the cup this year. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> or something of that nature. You know, their own little thing going about the quality of barley flour or, <laughs> you know, whether the sky or the, you know, deities or whatever. Something's going to be, there's going to be something you get formed on. And you can get intense about or happy with, or there's be formation. <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, you can change the colors. <clears throat> because these are all latent tendencies. So, you, you know, you, you can run, you can move around the world, and you don't get away from latent tendencies. You can find places where then your buttons aren't getting pushed so hard. But uh, the Eightfold Path recognizes that, that you're asking us to be mindful and aware. It means you're, you're actually having to learn to meet experience. You know the experience through meeting it. Fully meeting it. Meeting it with the intent and the confidence. This uh, to bring this to cessation or to find the place where this stops and this is of the nature to stop it does stop by itself it is of the nature to stop so I don't actually have to stop it but to take it to, to meet it and penetrate it so we come to the place where it is of the nature to stop now it's not of the nature to stop when you're thinking it it's of the nature to proliferate. It stops, but it, it sparks something else off. 
It's not of the nature to stop when you just feel it's an emotion, it churns and it moves. It's of the nature to stop when you feel it and you experience it as an energy. Then you don't have to stop it. If it's a thought, you have to stop it. You try and stop it. You can stop it. It comes up again. You stop it again. It comes up again. You stop it again. When it's an emotion, yeah, you can stop it. Perhaps a bit, a bit more time, a bit slower, trying to you know, calm down or check that one or not feel that feeling. Yeah, you can stop it. You can slow it. And it comes up again. Stop it again. It comes up again somewhere else. So it's, it's not you're doing it. You know? If you don't do it, it just moves on to something else or something else or something else, doesn't it? But it's of the nature to stop when it's when it's experiences in energy. Because at that place where you're just holding its energy, it's not getting the kind of felt meaning bit which feeds it. The felt meaning bit which says Oh, worry, um, doubt, um, happy, um, interesting, mm, you know, that's what, that's what, uh, that's the bit that provokes the deliberation and takes you down that, that conduit, that channel into self-formation. When it's just, mm, it's like this, then it's, it's not getting fed, it's of the nature to, the wave rises and it, it rolls back again. It, it, it empties itself. <clears throat> I think this is very important to deepen into. You know, we can't always deepen that level. But you see, if, if you just stop things at other levels, you, you're always left with a sense of someone who, who is doing the stopping or can't stop or needs to stop or it could be busy stopping things happening, or was getting it stopped, and then something else happened, and they got to stop this happening again. So you, you get stuck at that sense of of a, of a kind of a, a self who's obsessed with stopping things, or trying to make things change, and it gets that gets quite intense. But the real uh, release experience is when you when you you're using intelligence to take it back to the level where it's just the rolling of energies. Yeah. And just in the place of witnessing and holding that, meeting it fully, meeting it in the heart, meeting it in the body, meeting it where the heart and the body are just energies, just senses of presence, just the warmth, just the knowingness, where they, they lose their separation. Awareness sounds perhaps is too weak a word. Very full kind of awareness, embodied awareness, Mm. depth to it, stability to it, groundedness to it, and then these formations then start to unravel and unwind. This is really to my mind, the, the, the great um, blessing of the process. There's a sense then that comes up of a, I just have to meet my life and stop trying to be somebody else and stop fretting about the way my mind is or 
craving that it be another way, if I could just actually own up to it and meet it truthfully and trustingly with full awareness and just get, you know waking my intelligence around that. This is the same for all of us, you know, because you know you listen to different teachers, think, well, he's he's really confident the way he teaches it. She's really great in the way she teaches it. But it's different for me, isn't it? Your mind doesn't, pattern is not the same. But the message is always that, that the way it comes from different voices, and it is different, you know. But the basic message is you have to meet your experience and deepen into it, you know. You're not going to be a particular kind of person who does it. You know, like, you know, simulacrum of, of um, some other, some teacher you're, in, you're inspired by. So, in that deepening, in the, the uh, grace of it, is that, of course, that place where there is release, there isn't anybody who is released. It's not like, wow, I did something great now, you know, chalk that one up. <laughs> it's just that there was, there was release. And that, that's exactly the way it's expressed, and you can really understand why it's expressed that way. Because the the sense of self is really an end product. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not an in-depth experience. It's the kind of crest of the wave. It's not the ocean itself. And it comes after the thing that, you, that one feels one is obsessed by. You, you become the object of it. It's, it's, it creates you. And so you start to witness how that process happens. And then you can just take it back to the you know, distill back to the meaning. And from the meaning comes to the, f- the energy and the feeling. And what it takes to hold energy and feeling is not a tremendous amount of information, but just a lot of patience and steadiness and confidence and kindness, heart, intent. So even just to, to you know, come to this place when we're, we're responding from those bases is a great blessing. Uh, but the greatest blessing is when that process empties out and we experience the sense of ceasing. There's intelligence, awakeness, clarity. There's nothing, nothing happening but we're awake. Here one. Um, 